You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello everyone, I hope everything is good in your neck of the woods and everything's feeling fine. Before we get too far away from everything, I just wanted to give a huge thank you to everyone who's been using ToneMob.com slash Reverb. That, uh, if you haven't checked that out yet, that is a special link where you can do all of your normal Reverb.com shopping and a little percentage of that will come back and help keep the show going. So it doesn't cost you anything extra, it doesn't cost, you know, or add any extra headache, so to speak. You simply just go to ToneMob.com slash Reverb, that'll take you right to the Reverb main page, you log in, you do all your normal Reverb-y activities, and it comes back and helps support the show, and if you've never heard of Reverb before, which would be kind of surprising, but if you haven't, just simply signing up helps out. So if you can go there, sign up for an account, Reverb's like, hey... That's nice, and they uh, kick a little something our way. So if you want to keep the wind in the sails, that is an easy way to do it. You're probably buying things on Reverb anyway, so go for it. The link is in the show notes. I also want to talk about my folks over at Sinusoid. Sinusoid Custom Cables out of Washington. They're my neighbors to the north. They're great peeps. They've been supporting the show for a really long time, and they're providing something that we all need. We all need cables of one sort or another, and they are the place to go. They got a 100-year warranty, so you're not going to have to worry about them. If anything should go wrong, they will take care of you. And they look cool. Let's be honest. We like things that just look awesome. You can get any kind of TechFlex color you can imagine to keep your cable protected and also just look awesome, and it slides around nice on the stage. It's a, it's a really cool thing that they do, and they've got all kinds of different color combinations that really, really... I've never been more excited about cables. Like... It's kind of a thing that you wouldn't normally get excited about, but Sinusoid makes it fun because that's the type of people they are. So go to sinusoid.com and check them out. And last but certainly not least, I have to tell you about Gun Street Wiring Shop. Sean has got some really cool things cooking. I'm uh, I'm told they're, uh, he's getting advanced. Let's just put it that way. It's doing some things that I, I haven't heard of done in, in quite some time concerning your guitar's wiring harnesses. So if you have a custom kind of application in mind, he's the guy to go to. He'll help dream it up, help execute it, and he will get you the perfect wiring harness for your guitar. And furthermore, even me, with my lack of depth perception and like not that you know advanced of soldering skills, was able to successfully install a harness in my Les Paul and Sean helped me along the way. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com, check out all the offerings, and if you don't see exactly what you're looking for, just send them, a, send them an email. They will fix you up, and you will be happy. GunStreetWiringShop.com Okay, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Mikey Demas from the band Skindred.
Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Mikey Demas from the band Skindred. What's going on, man? Hello. Hey, dude. <laughs> How's it going? It's going really good. Really, uh, really, you know, like I, we just talked about, I just had a nice sandwich. I'm envious. A, a quite good. I'm not going to tell you what I had for dinner, because... When you described the sandwich to me, made me feel like my dinner paled in in comparison. But that's lunch for you because you're like you're in a different time zone to me. It's dinner time here. It's like late ish. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh it's like the witching it's, hour. It's afternoon here, so you're Lovely. you're over there in Brighton, correct? That's right. Yeah, that's right. The I weather's. Really, I really want to visit there. Oh, okay. Have you ever been over this way? I've been to London. Oh, all right. Uh, it's not far from there. It's about an hour yeah. away from there. Yeah, I want to. I want to get back over there really badly. Well, next time you're in town, next time you're in the country, rather, give me a shout, and um, do. I'll uh, I'll send Joe Branton up in a in a car to pick you up. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. If, <laughs> do you know what? I don't know if any of those guys can drive. Actually, they can't. Dr- I think they can. I don't know. I don't know. It's something about Brighton people. They people don't have cars. They don't drive. I don't know. I might. This might be slanderous, but I have a feeling that. Some of those guys can't drive. I don't know. This is where you're going to see. An, I'm, this is, I'm creating a serious, slanderous content here. So for people who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the guitar nerds who have a, another podcast yeah, about the guitar stuff. Right. And that is sort of how, uh, sort of how you and I got hooked up. Because I remember hearing your band on, uh, on the radio here in the States, you know, I can't remember exactly when. I'm like, oh, this is a good band. And then years later, who knew that we would meet in a Guitar Nerds Facebook group? <laughs> right. It's a small world. Well, oh, thank you very much. No, that's really cool. Um, it probably was a while a while ago. We've been around fa- forever. <laughs> well, that's a good segue into uh, why don't you tell me about uh, your musical backstory and the story of the band and and all that jazz, just to start from uh, when you started playing guitar. Okay, Um, so I was about, probably about like 11 or 12 years old. 11 years old, I want to say. And um, yeah, I just, I don't know what it was. I just kind of woke up one day and figured I want to, I want to learn to play the guitar, specifically the guitar. And I know my dad had tried to kind of teach me a bit of it before, like I guess when I was like eight or nine, because my dad always played guitar. And I think when he first sort of tried to push it into my hands, I was like, I couldn't get it and I wasn't interested and da 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 da. But when you're sort of 11 or 12, and then for some reason, I I figured I'm going to give this a go. I remember seeing that um, original Woodstock film, docu-film, rockumentary, whatever you want to call it. And um, yeah, seeing like 10 years after and... Jimi Hendrix and Santana and Taj Mahal, Canned Heat, all that sort of stuff. Just thought, this is really cool, you know? Just a guys on stage doing their thing. A man and a guitar, so to speak. That's what that's what got me excited. And yeah, from then on, I, I just sort of picked it up. And I never had any lessons, never had any formal sort of education in music. I just... Got a guitar. My dad, my dad actually bought me a like a cheapish acoustic, like a steel string acoustic. And the idea was, if you can, you know, make 
Green Day sound good on that, then you know what I mean? It's kind of he was kind of like it's more of a a proving ground playing on a right. little, on a right. steel string acoustic or whatever, you know, like rather than go straight into like electric or whatever. And but like you know that came straight afterwards. So I, I had some a little bit of aptitude, and you know I was super keen. It was like instantly became my fi- my thing. And we went up to Denmark Street, which is in uh, in central London. It's the West End of London, and that's where all the guitar shops are. Famously, there's like this place called Denmark Street, which is like a tin. They call it Tin Pan Alley, where all like these old classic guitar shops are in very close proximity. And there used to be a store there called Turnkey, which isn't there anymore. And that's where I bought my first proper electric. We kind of went halves on it. I think I'd saved up, like, I don't know, this, that, the other. My dad sort of said, I'll split it with you. We'll go, we'll go Dutch on, this, on a guitar. So I went up and picked, up, picked out a Strat, this sort of Olympic white kind of blonde Strat, which was great. And... Yeah, that became like my, I howled onto that thing for like 10 hours a day, every day for years and years and years, like five or six years. I never let that thing out of my sight. And it became my, my buddy. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was like coming of age, really. Um, you know, coming up in, in a fairly sort of rural kind of area where there wasn't much to do when you're a kid. I kind of, took a lot of solace in in playing a guitar for hours that was back when I used to practice a hell of a lot <laughs> and yeah and I you know I would just I would see things on that was when like MTV was a big deal and that kind of thing and I had a couple of buddies who had like MTV and or we would like record like, record music videos on VHS and you'd see like Beavis and Butthead and stuff and it'd be like what is this you know what I mean Right, and, you know, right. and I remember going to my first time I went to the USA. I was probably about, I want to say like fourteen or something, thirteen, fourteen. I wasn't very old, and that's when I got really got introduced to things like Rage Against the Machine, you know, Soundgarden, things like that. You know, early nineties, and that's where that's for me. That's where that kind of found my stuff. If you know what I mean, I'd always been. I think the thing that got me excited. Back in you know when I was a kid was sixties and seventies stuff and like rock like Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and that kind of stuff you know all the, the all the classic stuff but then when you're kind of finding your identity as a sort of teenager and when you have like alternative guitar music especially like from the USA and that kind of thing that was a big big turning point for me where that's what I wanted to get into and so. You know, I, you know when you're not when you're not formally educated in playing guitar or anything, you just you find yourself trying to figure things out by ear and buying tab books and things like that, and just working out how to do the thing yourself. And that a lot of that went into how I ended how how I, I play now. I think is just a bit of improvisation in chords and weird shapes and things like that. There's, I play so much stuff I wouldn't even know I wouldn't even be able to tell you what it is. It's like or what to call it. It's just you do this, and then you do that, and then you do this thing after that thing, and it does the thing. There's a lot of that. I can relate to that very yeah, much. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. I'm, I'm actually learning to play. I'm learning piano at the moment, and I'm learning to read music as well. And it's sort of, you know, I, I kind of wish I'd done that back then. But I think if I'd have done, if I'd have approached guitar in a studious way when I was a kid, I probably wouldn't have been as into it. it wasn't as much rebelliousness, I think, than just 
DIYing it. Um, so yeah, and then uh, when I was about 17, 18, I, well, no, when I was about 16, I guess I was in my first band, which was with a couple of guys from school, like Brian Adams. <laughs> Mm-hmm. As in, I got my first real six string. Like we didn't play Brian Adams, but you know that's just like how the story goes. <laughs> and then, well, everybody covers that song at some point. Yeah, I should probably should we? I should probably learn it. Um, so yeah, we did. I did a band with a bunch of friends, and we sucked. And we would you know rehearse in people's garage, make a ton of noise, get told to turn down, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, did loads of covers, wrote our own stuff. It was really bad. But lots of fun, um, and yeah. Then I, I started. I, I was in another series of bands in, in and around Oxford, where I was sort of living at the time when I was young, and did that and did that, and you know, balance that against you know working jobs to kind of feed the habit of guitar stuff. And um, about how old were you at the time? I guess like probably about 18, 18, 19, I guess was when, you know, when I was sort of doing a couple of bands and, you know, I'd moved out of home. I was living with a with my sister and a couple of friends and I was actually in a band with my sister and a couple of my buddies and we would do like gig swaps with people around the country and we played kind of weird down tuned kind of. I wouldn't know what to call it really. It was kind of, I get, we, we, yeah, it was around when like that big new metal thing was happening, but it wasn't like, mm-hmm. wasn't like Limp Biscuit or anything like that. It was kind of a bit more somber. And, and my sister was really into Tool at the time. And I guess that had a bit of influence on it. And just not that, I, not that it was proggy in any way, but just a bit of down tune guitars, a bit of jumping around, a bit of sort of meaningful lyrics, that kind of thing. But riffy, you know, riffy kind of stuff. And so more uh, more Deftones than Limp Biscuit. Absolutely, yes. 100% yes. You got it. I'll nail on the head. So, uh, yeah, that kind of thing. And then I met, I met Dan Pugsley through a mutual friend who is a bass player of Skindred. And uh, I met him when I was about, I want to say, like 20 years old. And he'd been doing this band with with Benji and a couple of other guys in South Wales, which is uh, where Benji's from. And the, the other the other two guys have kind of eventually quit, and I got a phone call saying, do you want to come and try out for this band? I guess Dan had seen me play in one of my other bands and thought, there's something about that guy. He's got, <laughs> he's got, a, he's got a black SG and he throws it around. <laughs> He's got the he's got a good attitude. I don't know what it was, but he, he I got a phone call and tried out for Skindred in two thousand and one, two thousand and two, two thousand and one, and yeah, and that was it. And I I, uh, I quit my job. I was working for like a like an internet firm. I was like a graphic designer for an internet firm, and I quit my job and I gave up my apartment and moved across the country and to, to Wales, which is another country, and went and slept on sofas for about two years, just bumming around in Newport, having a good time, meeting people and getting up to mischief and turning my back on any kind of responsibility and just doing the band thing, which was great. You know, I had no money whatsoever. I didn't have two pennies to rub together half the time, but it was a really cool time and I was uh, young and free and was able to do 
you know, whatever I wanted. It was great. And uh, yeah, we would we would practice and write all week and then go and play shows at the weekend. And and it's just grown from there, really. You know, it's just grown from uh, jumping in the back of a tiny little van and cruising around the country to getting on tour buses and supporting bigger bands and then doing our own headline tours. And those have grown and grown and grown. I mean, you know, we're talking, this is 18 years ago, I think now. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of growth in that time. So when you say you probably heard us on the radio, that could have been anything up to 15 years ago, maybe it was when we started. Yeah, I really, I can't really remember. Um, mm. It was, you know, towards the end of me even listening to the radio. Right. Basically. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, that was sort of mid two thousands was when we were, when we really were doing, doing some damage on the radio in the U S I think. And we've, that sounds we've, about right. Yeah. We've had some, we've had some, some sort of success since as well, but our, I guess our, um, our priorities have been sort of elsewhere territorially. So, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. That's uh, something we were, we were talking about off the air a little bit. It's just, it's, can be really challenging well it, it can be really challenging the other way too for right. a u.s band to go over to europe and vice versa right it can it's like it's almost like uh trying to start all over again in some ways yeah i mean there's a big outlay to to um to get around to you know when and for the difference being for a band like us going over to the states is you've got visas involved like which costs quite a lot of money we're at the stage now where the kind of show that we want to put on involves having several members of crew, which we struggle to do the show without. And that's not even like vanity stuff like guitar techs, you know, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not too proud to, to set up my own gear and strip it all down. I do it. I do it quite often internationally when need be, but I'm talking like a monitor engineer who also does certain sort of playbacky things, you know, with like clicks and stuff like that, that, the four of us can't do ourselves when we're in the moment and you know and the same goes for having a good front of house engineer like a sound guy out front who has been mixing us for seven years now i think and oh, you know yes. that you 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 lose him and, and replace him with someone who's never heard you before or whatever and it's it changes everything because ultimately your live show or you know it's i don't know i guess it's the equivalent of recording in a studio and just not mixing it just putting it out there like don't worry about that you know you need someone who's there the final set of quality control the final set of ears before people hear it and when you know you need that person that has a big effect on what people are experiencing when they see you you know and it's one of those things where your live show just it elevates and we've got to the point where we can't really we can't really stomach the idea of not having that like when we do our big uk headline runs in european and elsewhere we'll have a load of production and we'll have lots of lights and a guy at least one guy who will come and you know take care of all that stuff we have a lighting designer and he'll have an assistant and there'll be multiple desks and a truck full of cases of cable and lights and lights and lights and it's all incredible incredible stuff um and then you know people see you and they say man that was so much better than last time and it's you know it's this sort of unquantifiable thing that they don't a lot of people don't realize that your production has gone up a level when you're still playing the same tunes that you have been, but it's just, it's a bit more of a, what's the word? Stimulating it's, experience. It's really become a show. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're at the point where we want to be able to do that 
consistently wherever we go. And so sometimes you get problems internationally not being able to do that wherever you go. And you have to strip things back, which is fine. But, like, you know, we're not a new band. We're not, we're not like, we've been around long enough to know that we want to do it the way we want to do it. And, that, you know, you run into problems with that and the costs associated with that. So it's all a very, very boring way of looking at how to make it work. But it is a business that we're running at the end of the day. And, you know, these are all factors that, that make or break whether something's going to happen, unfortunately. Well, I think, uh, I think bands get into trouble when they don't view it as a business, unfortunately. And no one likes to think of their art really in that, in that way, especially not creative types. But if you don't, you, you end up not being able to continue to do these things in limited. It was tricky in it, you know, and it, it took, it took me, it took us a long way, a long time to come around to that sort of way of looking. And that sort of stuff can be something that breaks a band up. You know, a lot of the time people, start a group a band and they they went to college together they went to school together they've known each other their entire lives blah 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 blah. and you know friendships get 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 torn apart get you know they can get better they can get worse etc etc you've got multiple relationships with people who all might have a common goal but a completely different way of wanting to get there and i guess that's the difference with a band like us is none of us went to school together none of us grew up together we're all from four totally different corners of the country and uh yeah you know that's that's part that makes up for part of the chemistry you know um and we have like i said we've had to come around to the idea of it being a business i guess at least i Is have that difficult to do uh kind of and you kind of you know you walk the line really i kind of go in and out of my headspace kind of goes in and out of um creativity and sort of business time you know what i mean it's i don't have one mode per se i don't walk around with my head in the clouds thinking about music and nothing else I, I'll, I'll have periods where I think very emphatically about songs riffs, songwriting, choruses uh, the mix blah 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 what we're putting out etc and then you know I'll have periods where I'm so knee deep in artwork and that kind of thing designing merch for a tour designing production for a tour you know going through all that stuff with the people who are making it making it happen and then I'll be, you know, I'll, be, I'll have my head into the financial side of it, et cetera, et cetera, the logistical side of it. Where am I going to be in 18 months' time? All that stuff, like the long game planning. So it's you can't be across all that stuff all the time. For me personally, you have to kind of put different hats on day to day, you know. And then, you know, and then the, the other hat is just to put the hat on of being the rock star who doesn't have – doesn't want to be perceived to be thinking about any of that stuff but right. that, that is <laughs> right. that's that's just not reality at least not for us you know we we're all of us we're all across everything uh, everything involved with our business at different points it sounds like so, a really cold I mean, way of looking at it but is that's just i don't think so that's it's just reality yeah it is it's just it's real it is reality and we could talk at length about music and all that stuff if you wanted to no problem but you just caught me on a i was thinking about it in business terms for a minute so i went i ran with it <laughs> i i mean i don't think it's a cold way of looking at it at all really i mean i think it can be right um and i think it i think if you if you treat it um exclusively like that i guess if you treat it as a bad business right it can be a bad thing but no, if you no, run, no. are trying to run a a, a proper business 
And that can be a good thing, whether yeah. you're starting a guitar pedal company or you're running a band. Absolutely. Yes. You know, you know and we still love what we do hundred percent. And if you'd have had this conversation with me 10 years, 12 years, 15 years ago, it would be, it would be going very differently. You know, I'd be like, Hey man, everything's rad. Woo. <laughs> I'm a, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a grown up. We're all grown ups. It's, it, you know, it, that's, it's just the realism of it. And that, 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 that's not taking away from any passion or feelings I have about what it is that we do and what makes us tick. It's just, that's just a, a realistic talk about how it works, I guess. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's totally fair. And uh, it's, I don't think anybody needs to feel weird about it. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird that we do feel weird about it sometimes. Right. It's a, it is what it is. Well, no one really but... prepares you for it. You know what I mean? It's like, I picked up a guitar because in some weird way it felt, I don't know, marginally rebellious against something. I guess the people around your family kind of want you to knuckle down, do your homework and do a good job and blah, 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 and keep your nose clean and all that stuff. And for me, playing the guitar was kind of like my escape from from whatever, you know. And I, I can see that people coming up have that same thing, and that's really awesome. And then, you know, you reach sort of adulthood, and for a lot of people... The guitar, it, the guitar never, it never ceases to be that thing. It's kind of like your thing on the side for your life. But I was very fortunate that the guitar became my main thing somehow. And it's keeping that, keeping that on the rails is, you know, that requires work and it requires being smart and it requires thinking about things and having things planned out. I never thought for a minute that when I was a kid that I was, would be, playing guitar for a living, writing songs for a living, playing music, touring for a living. I had, I had no clue. I wouldn't believe it if you told me about it. I'm so, so privileged and so fortunate. And, you know, and I've worked really hard as well. Not in maybe in a studious <laughs> guitar way, but just in the sacrifices that you make and the work that you put in and the time that you put into things. And, yeah, it's a, uh, it, you got to love it. It's a, it's a, a wild, a wild world. I'm very privileged to be, doing that thing you know i i relate so hard to what you just said i mean i'm doing something completely different but yeah it's i mean my whole entire working day is centered around guitar and guitar stuff mm -hmm. and never ever did i think that that anyone if you told me as a kid that we would be doing this right now right no. here I would have said you're crazy. Yeah, exactly. It's not yeah. Gonna happen. For me, it's like when I got the phone call to, to do you want to come and try out for a band? I was like, hell yeah, I do. And then I got the part and I came back home and I sort of was talking to my family and said, I think I'm going to do this thing, which involves migrating several hours away, upping sticks and moving and doing that and quitting my job and quitting every sort of smart grown up thing I'd, I'd put in place. It didn't go down right. very, it didn't go down very well. <laughs> no, you know, I think that, Ultimately, I got people's blessing, but it, you know, on paper, it doesn't look like a very smart call. You know, what's your plan? Well, I'm going to go and live on someone's sofa and play guitar and just go to <laughs> Europe and go around and go to the states and do this because it's going to be a it's going to be a blast, man. I mean, it's not it it's not the most solid of foundations, but it worked out. It's still working out, and I think that the reason what I was getting at earlier is that. I think the thing that made me go, yeah, that's what I want to do is because I think all of us uh, guitar players, band guys, 
out there in the world are ultimately running away from the responsibility of having to get a real <laughs> job one day. And I've somehow managed to prolong that into my into my thirties, which is unbelievable. <laughs> you know, it's wonderful though. Oh man, it's really wonderful. It is really wonderful. I'm very grateful and I'm very very fortunate. And um, yeah, I'm. I still love. I still love what I do. Uh, as it, it has its difficulties, as does anything, but it is a very, very privileged position. So, what you were just talking about with the, you know, kind of explain to your family that you're gonna just uproot and do this thing, right? It reminded me of a, 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 you know, especially growing up, I was a big Dropkick Murphys fan and still do right, like that band quite a bit. Oh, cool. Um, but I, I remember reading uh, or watching an interview. I was watching an interview with Ken Casey. And he was talking about, yeah, so I got married and then I told my father-in-law that I quit my job to start this Celtic punk rock band mm. and I moved into his house. And he's like, I can't believe he didn't kill me. Right. Like, <laughs> well, this is the thing. You hear those stories when it works and it's like, amazing, good for you. You can do anything you want to do. But there are obviously so many stories out there of people who've gone, I want to, I'm going to live the dream. I'm going to make it happen. And it doesn't happen for everybody and that's that's a great shame, but uh, you know it can't happen for everybody. Otherwise, there'd be no one doing real jobs, making the world go round, and us idiots sort of jumping around on stage, throwing guitars around, trying to <laughs> trying to um, trying to intellectualize what we do, <laughs> <laughs> and then justify it on the internet. Yeah, so. man, having a, a deeper meaningful on the on the internet about how important it all is. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. <laughs> It is. It is funny. It is important, and it is awesome. <laughs> it is awesome, though. Let's yeah. Be honest. Oh god, yeah, yeah. I love what we do. I love. Uh, uh, yeah, guitars have always got me, got me hot under the collar, and they still do to this day. You know, You're like your mistress who becomes your main, your main squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk. A, let's talk about this a little bit more, since this is supposedly a guitar show. Um, what uh, What's your gear look like? You know, how did it well, actually a good thing to maybe explore would be to see how it's changed over the years. Right. Like, what did you start out with and what are you what are you with now? So first off, I'm, I play left handed. So a uh, little known fact is I'm not actually left handed. I'm actually right handed, but I play left handed, which is completely oh, interesting, which is completely ridiculous. But the reason for that is both my parents are legitimately left handed and my dad had left handed guitars in the house. And even before, weirdly, even before I had any notion of a guitar being one way or the other, like I had no concept of that, just the idea of playing air guitar as a kid just felt right left-handed. And so when I picked up his guitar, it wasn't like, oh, weird, it's upside down. It was like, this is a guitar, and this is how you play it, and this, is, this feels correct to me. It doesn't feel weird at any point. So I just went with it. No one stopped me. No one corrected me, which is... You know, his fault, really. I blame him because I could have had access to <laughs> any guitar I wanted. <laughs> Instead, I've got like this percentage of weird and wonderful guitars that, you know, anyway. Um, so, yeah, it started off when I joined the band. I, I went for a few guitars leading up to that. As a little side tangent, I had this really crushing thing happen to me where my original first guitar and a bunch of other gear that I had that... It, it was sort of our band's gear in the back of my car. I parked my car up in town 
to run in and get this payslip from this bar I was working at. I was in like five minutes. Came out, my car had been broken into, and everything was gone. Oh, like yeah, like two two guitars, a bass, a couple of amp heads, of like a couple of little suitcases with effects pedals and stuff in. I'm talking like not just my stuff, like other people's stuff. And it was, the, I think the, the worst thing for me was the, the my guitar was, you know, kind of crushing because it was like my my only guitar, and I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into it. But it, you know, it was only a a, a cheapy-ish sort of fender standardy kind of thing it wasn't like irreplaceable but it was you know sentimental the worst thing for yeah, me totally. was uh, my dad who had lent me his he had this like um lawsuit gibson les paul kind of well, it wasn't a gibson sorry it was like a i want to say it was like an antoria which is like a japanese copy but it was you know one of those ones that like a 70s les paul weighs a ton but it better than a gibson kind of deal and it was like but, mm-hmm. but anyway he loved it and he lent it to me and that got stolen that really was like totally irreplaceable so that was a super bummer um but anyway so being a lefty after that i borrowed i borrowed um my buddy's ibanez rg something or other and strung it upside down <laughs> which is hell on earth if you can imagine playing a guitar with a floyd rose on it and the knobs on the wrong side. Imagine having <laughs> oh, no. to, yeah. Imagine having to put up with that. So yeah, he uh, he graciously lent me that for a time, and that sort of got me through some gigs that we did and stuff before I joined Skindred. But um, then uh, again, I went back up to Denmark Street and I bought a Gibson SG, like a black one, oh, an ebony Gibson SG, and that became like my number one. And I worshipped it, and it got beaten up and. <laughs> played the hell out of it and uh yeah that was my number one when i joined skindred and i still got that guitar actually um that's upstairs in under under someone's bed <laughs> i don't know who's um uh, and uh yeah that one's been battered to hell it's been all around the world a million times um so yeah when i joined the band i had like a marshall half stack it was like an early 90s jcm 900 head and a 4x12 uh, Marshall and had this Gibson SG and nothing else. I didn't even have, I have like a tuner pedal. You know what I mean? I had nothing. I had like a cable. Like I turned up at, turned up at rehearsal like, hey, I am. And um, there was a couple of tunes that the band had hung their hat on that uh, that featured like a whammy pedal, like a as quite a strong part of the sound. Like there were signature riffs mm-hmm. in a couple of these tunes had this whammy pedal. So instantly I was kind of Went out and bought one pedal, learned how to use it, and I got a tuner and I got a delay. And I was—I remember the guy who I kind of replaced was a guy called Jeff Rose, and he was in a band called Dub War, a band called Blood Brothers. And he's a—he's a—he's a very—he's—he's um, he's really similar to me in a lot of ways in that he never had a lesson and he was self-taught and just a kind of punk rocker. And he's got this touch and this feel to a guitar that he just. He calls himself like Sausage Fingers because he thinks he's a terrible player, but he's great and he's got an amazing feel and a great ear for like what sounds great and great tone. And yeah, he was kind of really, really, really pushing the boundaries of what you could do with just a couple of pedals in front of you in the same way that Tom Morello would, that does that thing. And that, and he'd never even heard of Tom Morello, you know what I mean? He's kind of, <laughs> he, he lived under a rock. He doesn't know, he didn't know about any of that stuff. So it was kind of, serendipitous and just a pure coincidence that he was kind of getting into whammy stuff and 
I took that on and learned to use it. It became part of my arsenal. So, yeah, early days of the band, I'd have like a few pedals in front of me and it, I've, I've got this um, Line 6 FM4, like the purple Stompbox modeler, you know? And mm-hmm. that became like my little palette of weird and wonderful, scronky, weird synthy noises, you know? Like stuff that doesn't sound like it's coming out of a guitar kind of thing. So I'd have... Totally. Yeah, yeah. So I'd have like... That I eventually got a DL4, which you know, so you could have a few delays, and um, yeah, it just grew grew from there really. And every time we went on tour, I'd buy something new, some kind of new pedal, and stick that in there. And and just I never was at that point, I was never really into subtlety, you know, or just you know, like a transparent overdrive or any of that nonsense. It was just like when you switch this thing on, it has to literally be jarring, or you have to know something's changed you have to know something's happened people in the crowd need to go oh what was that you know mm-hmm. and it's sort of been the same way ever since pretty much for skin dread and what we do there so I, at one point i had this pedal board that a guitar tech friend of mine lovingly called the gunship because <laughs> it was huge and it, it was way back in like early 2000s when you'd see all these like uh, true bypass strips sort of popping up on pedal boards and things like that. Like, you know, like with multiple loops and that kind of thing, I had a long one of them with like eight loops on it and a different pedal in each one. And then a load of pedals in front of it. And I was touring, touring a lot of pedals, including like an old original WH1 Digitech Whammy, which uh, I kind of sought after. Um, and uh, yeah, just a load of other stomp boxes really. And it was always a handful of stomp boxes into a tube amp high gain tube amp kind of guy and that was the way for a while you know and then when we were in the states for many years i was uh i went for I, I obviously we had a song that reacted really well at radio called nobody and it got on a bunch of soundtracks and it got on um it was put on need for speed underground i believe which is the game on the oh nice on the xbox or playstation thing. and that's uh, i think both do you know I what i never played it but so many people still to this day still go oh that's where i know you guys from because it was a successful game by all accounts so um so anyway where i'm going with this is in the states we were we gained some popularity so we spent a lot of time there and also we were represented by american management and an american major label so I started being approached by companies to play different things, including I was playing Ernie Ball for a long time. I was playing um, like Music Man guitars, Axis guitars, uh, which were great, really solid guitars, really well engineered. Um, ultimately, I moved away from them because I just felt like they, they couldn't really do anything special for me other than just spray them a color, which was great. but. I kind of wanted something a little bit more custom, you know, and they weren't willing to do that, which was understandable because we're only a small band, but I moved around to another couple of companies. I was playing, I think, Randall amps whilst I was over there, like using those modular Randall amps that had the preamps that you could plug into the front. Oh, yes. Remember those? Mm-hmm. Like the Eggnator um, design things, and those were fun. Um yeah, and that was like my US sort of touring stuff for a long time. And then uh, moved on to, I think I think I was playing ESP for a minute after that, I want to say, like in the late 2000s. Um, 
but it was it was tricky it, it, again it was it was tr- tricky trying to find something that the company made that just worked for me being a lefty because you know you're limited by what a company will make left-handed um and i remember just feeling like i was borrowing someone else's gear if you know what i mean like they're great guitars yeah. really cool like and, and you see them in other people's hands and they're like owning those things but i felt like a bit of a fraud picking that thing up it wasn't really me and you know it got to the point where you were pick, picking the wrong kind of fight with a guitar you weren't like picking the right kind of fight and yeah so again i moved on to i, I met a guy at fender and that's where i really started hitting things off really where fender sent me a bunch of stock sort of standard guitars like a couple of tellies a few straps that kind of thing and i just I went to work on them basically. So I took them to pieces, resprayed them, smashed them up, <laughs> changed the pickups, put the <laughs> you know put put like locking tuners on, and changed changed all the hardware and stuff just to make it like a bit more drop tuning worthy and a bit more high gain worthy and all that kind of stuff. And just just wanted things which just looked a little bit less off the shelf, you know. Totally. And yeah, that's where I started to feel like this is all starting to make sense now, gear wise. Like this is my thing and having a thing, if you know what I mean. It takes sometimes it takes a minute to find a thing, but having like a telecaster, like a genuine telecaster, was kind of unlocked a lot of identity, I think, where I was like, This is where it's at, this is what this is what I wanna be doing, this is what I wanna be playing. And what kind of uh, what kind of pickups and stuff ended up in those things to make them more, you know, drop tune, high gain friendly? So my main, my sort of, I suppose my number one guitar in the world is uh, what I call a Ratocaster, which is a tele, a standard Mexican tele body, which was black, and I resprayed that silver, and it's got a, a Highway One Stratocaster neck on it. And I put locking spurs or tuners on it, and it's got a Seymour Duncan hot rails for telly in the neck and in the bridge. Oh, cool! And it's rewired to volume, volume. There's no tone on it, and um, that's the one really. That is the burning house. Run in and save that guitar. It's not worth anything. It's just a standard body, and it's just like a you know the next made in the US, but it's just it's from a Highway One. It's not not custom shop it's not master built it's none of that it's it, you would if you try to resell it it's a it's a 600 guitar you know but mm-hmm. it is absolutely irreplaceable and has the i don't have any sentiment about anything else by comparison that would be the one that if that went missing if that got stolen if it got destroyed that would be quite heartbreaking because of the amount of hours of uh you know playing and care and love that has gone into that guitar and just how much action it's seen you know that guitar's been to hell and back with me and i would be very gutted to see that one go and that one i'll never sell it i'll never get rid of it that'll, that'll be in my life till i'm no longer around um and you know again it's just the cheapest it's like it's beaten up and it's it's got a lot of it's got a lot of me in it and um yeah, I love it. It's, but that's been retired now. I don't, I don't play that one live anymore because I'm sort of, I'm too worried about it going missing. One summer we did, I think we were flying. To, yeah, we were flying to flying to Europe. And here's a tip to anyone out there who's got anything precious that they're traveling with. We're flying to, I want to say Germany, 
and we were flying with Air France and we were had a connection, had a, a very short layover at Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris. And notoriously, I'll say it now, if you are, an, if you are landing in Charles de Gaulle and you have a connection, there's a good chance that your stuff will not make it to the next flight. I don't know what it is. What? I feel like that airport is kind of cursed by something. It's happened just a few times there now where, I don't know why, but I don't know, maybe the baggage handlers just have got it in for musicians. I don't know. But our, They're drunk. Um, maybe. I, our stuff did not materialize on the other end. And we, we were literally flying in to do a festival same day. And we had to cancel the festival. We had to cancel the festival the next day, you know, in another country. And then it, I think three days in on this little run we were doing, we, we traveled to Spain. We borrowed gear to make this festival happen, being out there with no, no instruments. And, you know, I think a week later, this stuff materialized. And I said, yeah, I'm not taking this out anymore. Because if that had gone missing, I just would have, I would have been so gutted. And, you know, I, I, I don't imagine that the airline could have done much about it. So, yeah. Well, I'm sure they couldn't have. Yeah. They, so, they rarely seem to. Right. So, um, so yeah, um, so now, uh, uh, by the by the way, around the sort of early 2010s, I don't know what you'd call it, the 2000, and, it wasn't the noughties, it's the bit after that, so 2010 onwards, um, I started playing Orange Amplifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I approached the guys at Orange about, we were playing a festival in the UK where we were flanked by loads of Marshall bands, and... You know, I'd been playing martial all my, my whole life, but we were like, we had this really great slot on, on the main stage. And I knew that the band before us and two of the bands after us all were like big, multiple martial stack kind of guys, you know. And I thought, well, how are we going to stand out here? So I spoke to Orange about making a load of custom cabs for us that were all custom color and all this stuff. And they initially they were like, no chance. And then they thought about it and thought, hell yeah, we're going to give it a go. Let's do it. And so after that, I was me and Orange hit it off, and yeah, I've been playing their stuff ever since. And so I use uh, Rockerverb amplifiers. I'm currently using the Rockerverb 100 watt Mark III amps, which are no joke. They are fantastic amps, absolutely brilliant. Uh, can't say a bad thing about them, other than they weigh a ton. But I don't have to pick them up, so I don't care. And <laughs> and um, yeah, so. Uh, Moving on from that, I I retired my Fender stuff, and a few years ago, uh, the guys from Manson Guitars in Devon in the UK, uh, they approached me about you know the idea of playing their guitars and maybe you know with a view to having a signature guitar down the line, and I was obviously quite excited by that. Um, so yeah, we uh, we hit it off, and I've known those guys for a long time because. Our drummer Aria is from that part of the world, so kind of they've kind of been part of the family for quite a long time. Um, and then I came around to the idea of playing their stuff. They lent me a few production models, and I, I kind of thought I'd change this, I'd do that, I'd swap this over, blah 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 blah. And yeah, we put our heads together and decided to put out a signature guitar in with all my specs and. Yeah, I, I couldn't be happier with it, to be honest. It's uh, it's kind of loosely based on on kind of 70s telly, sort of Keith Richards telly, but kind of 
modernized and ready to do the to play you know modern kinds of music that kind of thing modern reliability but kind of classic kind of look with an edge with a twist because i know man i don't know if you know but manson's a uh, best known for making guitars for Matt Bellamy of Muse. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's where I was going. You're right. You're kind of right. doing a funny thing in this. It's like you're reading my mind. Ah. Everything that I want to ask you just keep volunteering. So this is really easy for me. Oh, nice. It's because I have ESPN. <laughs> oh, oh that's, you do? that's what my wife says. I don't know if that's ESPN two or <laughs> one. I have ESPN. I have ESP. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I uh, Matt Bellamy obviously really talented player but he's his thing is like having loads of tech under the hood in his guitars and to be honest with you i wasn't really i've never really had any of that i didn't really need any of that and you know just in terms of identity i was keen to put something out that was totally different to anything manson had hung their hat on before so i was like right we'll get we don't they were like we could put a midi strip in it to control your whammy we could do this we could do i was like be honest guys i'm not really interested i like a guitar to be a guitar pedals to be pedals and never the twain shall meet so <laughs> i mean you know i'm saying that now chances are i'll get a fuzz factory implanted under my eyeballs at some point or something i don't know yeah, but and a chaos pad yeah man chaos, chaos pad on my on my beer belly to sort of control various things in my uh, body chemistry but no it's <laughs> no the guitar the guitar stays as a guitar as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, we took this kind of like 72 telly, um, telly custom, telly deluxe kind of deal with the sort of humbucker in the neck, the four way, uh, the four, you know, four, two tone, two volume, Les Paul ish switching and electronics. And just with that kind of big scratch plate, that kind of vibe. And then it's with one of Manson's production shape, body shapes, which is what they call an MA. Um, and you know, I think I think most of Manson production stuff has like a soft V neck, which I didn't get on with so much. And so my neck is kind of more standard uh, C shape, kind of thin ish. It's it's compound radius where it kind of goes from ten inches down at the bottom up to I think sixteen at the top. So it flattens out, you know. So it's you can still play lead on it. It's got great big, great big jumbo frets on it. Because the, the thing that I loved about the Highway One neck that's on my Ratacaster and a couple of other guitars is um, that the fret wire was humongous. It's like it's like bass frets almost, um, and I really fell in love with that. So we you know we brought that over to the mans and stuff, having that huge fret wire and locking tuners, and yeah, just Manson kind of went for it with their own thing with the hardware like you can get these really cool knurled aluminium knobs on the guitars and the the color schemes they went you know we decided on really stoked with the orange one's called atomic tangerine which is nice. really cool it's kind of satin candy metallic orange it's real it's really weird but it's it looks killer and there's a matte black one as well which looks seriously seriously dope and i don't even have one of those yet and i'm trying to peel one of those out of those guys but um yeah live like for live wise i'm 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 playing all manson now and i have i think i have four that come out with me i've got the prototype of the md1 of the md2 which is my signature guitar 
that the MD one's kind of like the one with basic hardware, basic Seymour Duncan pickups, etc. And the MD two is the one with all the upgrades. So all the custom hardware, all the all the Psychopath pickups, which is their in-house brand made by Simon Thorne, and you know locking tuners, all that good stuff. Um, I've got a full custom guitar they built me, which was kind of based on the Rattacaster. It's kind of got that silvery finish um, and a really chunky neck, which is a sort of roasted flame maple, but it's, uh, but it's sort of stained to look mahogany. It looks it looks really cool. It kind of looks like a James Trissart kind of neck. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, and, uh, and then I have a couple of their production ones with a few tarted up bits to kind of make them a bit more me. That uh, one's been resprayed, and I use them for a different tuning. And that is pretty much up to date of what I play live. <laughs> I mean, I've got... A, That's the journey. Right. I've got a reverb store with, like, all kinds of stuff for sale because I've literally accumulated about 40 guitars in the past 20 years and they've got to go i've got too much stuff it's insane you know outside of my live rig and the touring stuff which lives in a lockup which is great i have a load of personal collection stuff which is kind of taken over and i'm trying to get like 25 guitars down to like five guitars which is really which is really difficult because, you know, you have sentimentality attached to, you know, guitars that don't that might not might not be worth a lot financially or whatever. But it's kind of you just can't get rid of them. <laughs> well, I'm yeah, I'm a gear hoarder. Oh, God. I, yeah, me too, I, man. Me too. I, I just I can't get rid of anything. I think my, uh, I sold one guitar in my life and I regret it. Uh, so it's like, uh, I can't do it. Uh, it's difficult. Well, you get to a point where it's like. I think a lot of guitar players have this kind of dream of having the gear room. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all the gear up on the wall, everything presented nicely, everything polished and kind of, or not, just kind of everything's in the room, everything's organized. Da, da, da. Maybe that's just me and my OCD, I don't know. But I've had the gear room, I've had the studio, I've had all that stuff where, and it's just, it's, I'd never, I, I underestimated the stress of ownership it's just i don't know it just it's too much i go away i go i go abroad i go on tour and i get paranoid that i'm gonna get robbed (laughs) i worry that someone's gonna break my door down and and steal things you know so i don't keep stuff at home if i can avoid it i try and keep stuff in other places and it just becomes like this weird circle of keep stuff i don't know get rid of stuff get it rid of it you don't need it i don't know it's weird I, I end up moving guitars around more than I do actually play them. <laughs> Isn't that insane? I, like you're making me wonder if I'm gonna ever hit a point where I, I gotta do like the great gear purge. You might do, I man. Know. I mean you're still I you're still young, to. you're still a pup. You still got time. You might just go, Do you know what? Screw this. This is going, this is going. How many guitars you got in your personal collection? Um not as many as you. Uh I'm trying to I'm trying to look behind me and count. Because they're all behind me. Would you One say second. up to ten? I I think I've hit ten. Okay, so ten to fifteen kind of deal. I have, I have eight. I have okay, eight, okay, okay. Nine, nine guitars. See, to me, that's not an obscene amount of guitars. I have an obscene amount of pedals. Right. Okay. I have a very extremely obscene amount of pedals. I, I probably have two hundred plus pedals. Wow. Okay, I can help you with this. 
this is can, okay. this is where you need to this is where you need to focus and get brutal because check it out what i will say to you is that imagine that if you look at all those little pedals like the little chunks of change like you visualize them as like little stacks of cash and you look at them you think oh that one's worth so and so that one's worth so and so if you sell enough of them all at one time and they'll go imagine having this like pile of cash that you could put into something else that you really, 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 really want. Hmm. But what I really, 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 really want is more pedals. Huh. Maybe I'm just broken inside. What's your... Maybe I'm just trying to fill a hole with guitar pedals that will never be filled. It's a chasm. What is your number one, I will never get rid of this pedal? Um... That's really tough. Um... I have a handful of, of projects that I've done with uh, some other companies, you know, Tone Mob kind of collaboration things. Uh-huh. And I have, like, the number ones of all of those. Oh, that's good. Which I, right. Are kind of special, but, you know? Yeah, well, that's, that's um, different. I don't... This is the one thing I will say. I don't have... I don't own a single pedal that I couldn't easily replace. Right. So, so, so that, like, that there's... There's not... There's a few that have, like, a a touch of sentimental value like those special project ones but like all of the stuff that i have is 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 available if it was to all just vanish i could i could eventually get it because all the builders are still active right and i know most of them you know like i could we could we could replenish so I, it's really hard for me to put a number one because i i i uh i rotate so much i guess so much stuff. i guess with those things is that they are it's hard to see them as anything other than tools, if you know what I mean. Because you mm -hmm. don't physically play it. You don't do you know what I mean? You don't you don't literally sweat into it, maybe so much. It's kind of does something to something else and has an effect on something else rather than something that you have this massive connection with. I don't know, but I I have I have no problem. Shifting pedals, buying pedals, getting rid of pedals, moving pedals on, swapping pedals. I don't have as much sentiment attached to them. The only, the only, I've probably got a handful of things that I wouldn't get rid of. And that, but that's more about what they're worth and their scarcity on the market. That's just a, probably a brutal way of looking at it. Like I have a, I've had a handful of original whammies, WH1 whammies that are worth a fair bit of money. They're rare, you know, they're, you know, they're out there, but. I've got I've got a couple of them left which I won't get rid of. I've had I've sold a few. Um but I, I've got a a memory man that I won't get rid of. Um I've got a core a boss C E one that I won't get rid of. Um Yeah, probably just that stuff. And the rest I've got a, like I've got a bunch of uh, DL fours and a bunch of FM fours which are kind of battered and have been around forever, but They've got some sounds programmed into them that I don't want to lose. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, no, I'm the same. I mean, I probably have, I'm have, like I said, I'm having this huge gear purge at the moment. I've sold a bunch of stuff on Reverb, um, but I still have easily 60, 70 plus pedals at home. And uh, if I was really brutal, I could probably strip that in half, but I feel like I've done enough brutality. <laughs> You've hurt yourself enough oh, for yeah, one year. I beat myself up enough for getting rid of stuff. But I, like I said, I, yeah, no I have left. I have less sentimentality about certain pedals, and I've been. I've bought more pedals than I should have, and those are the ones I find it easier to get rid of. I find it 
I would I I I probably wouldn't want to be getting rid of pedals that people had gifted me or that companies had given me. I feel like that was kind of a kind of a, a bad thing to do. I don't know. Morally, I I struggle to get on with that. Um, yeah, I definitely have a I definitely have a thing with that uh, because you know uh, through doing this and and being in the industry that that does tend to happen, and I just have this. And, you know, some people are like, it's fine. You can do whatever you want with it. And I, I do support that. Mm. Like it is your property at some point. Right. But, like I do have a, I struggle with the same thing. Like, ah, but this guy, you know, he gave this to me. Yeah. It's different. Especially when it's like an independent thing. Like you look in someone's eyes and you know, it's like an, you know, that they put it together with their hands and you can see that it's literally money out of their pocket that they're putting in your hand and going, do something great with this thing. And the thing you're not going to do is, stick it online and try and sell it. I don't No, I'm not really into that, but you know, I'm, I've, I've been buying and selling gear for years and, uh, most of it, I've, you know, most of it I paid for. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just, it is what it is. You know what I mean? It's true. It's true. Well, speaking of pedals, I got, I do want to ask you something okay. about pedals. Different. What is your favorite boss pedal? Favorite boss pedal, um, Space Echo RE twenty, I think. Mm, good call. Yeah, that was an easy one. Yeah, I've 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 had one of those in the arsenal for well since they came out. Really, I was like, yeah, this is a big part of part of me. I, I you know I've always always loved the Space Echo and being able to put one on your pedal board. That's yeah, kind of close. It it's to be fair, it's not massively like a Space Echo. Because every space every space echo is different, and if they're old enough and the tapes are weird, then they do weird things. And they, you know, you'll play one in a studio, and it'll never do the same thing twice, and it'll have all this weird erraticness that the pedal can't possibly try to to emulate. You know, the pedals are very consistent, which is great. The sounds that come out of them are great, but it doesn't have that weird randomness, if you know what I mean. Which um, I don't know how it works, like. I don't know how the Chase Bliss stuff works. Like, I don't know if there's DSP going on, but I, I feel like the, like the there's more randomness with some of the pedals that they put out. If you know what I mean, like, mm-hmm. like um, I don't know what the, I don't know what the, is it the tonal recall? Tonal recall, tonal recall. The tonal recall. Tonal recall, yeah. yeah. Like, I haven't had a go on one of those, but it looks, it looks and sounds awesome. I've, I've, I watch all these videos where they have a stack of them all lined up and. It's not even people playing a song, but it's just they make these beautiful ambient noises and it sounds so weird and random. And for me, the only time I've ever tried to do that stuff is with old analog gear, like a Space Echo or like a tape machine or that. So, you know, when you think uh, like three pedals I have, which I love, are Strymon Deco, Hudson Broadcast and um, Boss Space Echo. And having those three on a pedal board is like, it's so much fun, you know. That's like that. My three favorite studio things really is like a, a Neve channel strip, uh, tape machine, and you know a tape echo. There's, you could literally plug me into those three things. I'd have more fun than a man should have all day long, night and day. And having like three <laughs> little boxes that kind of try to do that thing is a lot of fun. Uh, even you know even, those are all great. Oh yeah, hell yeah, like. Those, I feel like the Hudson Broadcast and the Strymon Deco are just make gooder pedals. You know, it's like they're harder to they're hard to turn off. When you turn on, and go wow, this just feels really good to play. 
and uh, it's hard to send them off and take them out of the chain. And you know, the Space Echo's uh, killer, killer, killer effect, and the, the, the boss pedal does a really cool version of what the Space Echo unit did, does. Very, very good. Very nice. I uh I I gotta say I think and you I bet you agree with me on this I think the deco is Strymon's most underrated pedal. Hundred percent, yes, hundred percent. I mean, yeah, I, I think I saw the video for what it does, and I was like, I have to have one of these. I don't own any other of their gear. I've 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 got enough delay pedals and enough ambient stuff where I'm just I don't I know the timeline's great. I know the Big Sky's great. I've played through them. I know the Mobius is great. But I just can't justify stretching to stretching for one, you know. Because I don't feel like I need it in my life. But the deco is like I need this in my life, hundred percent. There's nothing else like it. Yeah, the deco is wonderful. Yeah, and it just it, really it does something to. I like gear that makes you not want to put your guitar down. You know what I mean? And um, that is some of the most fun stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely, and especially when it's something like like. Um, like I, I'm not a real huge modulation fan, and uh, the other day I had to go on. You know, you've heard of a company called Thorpe Effects. Oh yes, yeah. Yep. So the other day I uh, went to visit Thorpe. He's a friend of mine, and had a go on his new chorus pedal, the Deep Ogin, which is a awesome, amazing pedal. Absolutely amazing. Didn't want to put the guitar down. Just makes you want to play. Makes you want to play. And I don't even like chorus. <laughs> I don't. You know, it's not even something that I like. But plugging into that thing, it's 100% analog. It's an original design. They um, he co-op builds it with um, uh, with the with Dan Coggins, who uh, oh right from uh, he did. Uh... Why can't I think of that love, legendary love, pedal uh, company? Yeah, I've gone. I've, love, tone. love Tone. Thank you. That was on the tip of my tongue then. I was like, I'm about to put my foot in it and get it completely wrong. Yeah, Dan Coggins, who did all the Love Tone stuff. Um, yeah, they, uh, they, they built that together, and it is just pure bliss plugging into that thing. It's just, you feel like you're in the studio with John Frusciante or something, just having that lush sound at your fingertips. It makes you just want to keep playing and keep playing. Which is a sign of a really cool effect, I think. Um, that's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm very excited to check one of those. Oh, out. definitely, and especially you know, like I said, I don't really like chorus. Uh, I have a the only one I've really liked, and this isn't even snobbery. This isn't like cork sniffer stuff. Maybe I've not tried enough of mo modern equivalents, but it's, it's the same goes as with the CE one. It's just you plug into it, and it just even when the effects bypassed, it does something to. The guitar where it's kind of like this cool preampy vibe where it's just sort of ooh, just feels like it's doing something really great even if it's not modulating and um yeah I d i've never really plugged into another chorus that does that they might be out there but i've just i've just never plugged into them i guess i don't really i don't really enjoy the sound of the effect but i enjoy playing through a really nice analog chorus yeah i found that uh f for me uh there's not very many digital choruses that I love. No. There's some some really nice analog ones that I that I do like. Um, but I really like uh, and this one is digital. One of my favorite choruses is the Mr. Black double chorus. People have been it's saying so about weird. People have been saying about this guy. I was asking about something on on a group the other day, and someone said you have to check out the Mr. Black stuff. I've never played any of his gear, and it sounds 
right up my alley, to be honest. I I know Jack really well. Uh, he's here in Portland, oh, okay. and uh, and he he makes, I mean, crazy sounding stuff. I mean, not crazy into where it's like, wow, I don't know what I would do this, but it's like the level, the depths of sound uh, in like is his DSP stuff that he does mm-hmm. is so it just sounds so good. All of it is the sound quality is just top notch. I I love it. Mm. I think that's the. That's the the mystery element to me is the DSP stuff that's kind of really making waves because it it makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a mystery to me with with like analog or just you know point to point wiring. It makes sense. Like I, my dad was a electronic engineer for like twenty five years in the Air Force, and I grew up surrounded by the smell of solder and always you know was encouraged to like take things to pieces and find out how they worked and break them and try and fix them and put them back together. So, I'm, you know, I'm always, I'm always messing around with stuff around the house, trying to fix stuff and fixing gear and improving gear and breaking gear and modding gear and doing all that kind of thing. So I totally get like the, a rudimentary circuit and I totally get how things work and how one thing makes that last thing do something else, etc. But yeah, with the, with the digital stuff and, you know, where, the sound of the core sound of a pedal is comes from someone writing code into a computer. That's the that's the mystery. And I think that's the real magic. And I think that a lot that's a lot of where the industry is going, if you know what I mean. Because in the same way that like the adage that anyone can play guitar, like anyone can pick up a guitar and plug it into a and you know plug it into an amp and feedback and and kerrang this guitar and make a noise and make it sound awesome and get you know have that attitude thing i feel in the same way that you know pedals and a lot of it, it's a, it's an approachable thing it's not a mystery to me it's not like a, some it's not weird voodoo science it's kind of it makes sense but the dsp stuff you know the digitally the digital digital signal processing is where mm-hmm. is where the real mystery is at to me because I don't understand it. <laughs> I feel like I want to learn. I feel like I need to learn to code to kind of understand it and do that thing. Maybe I'll do that in the same way that I've always loved piano my entire life. And it was always a mystery. And then in the last 18 months, I've started learning and now it's not so much of a mystery. I think I need to learn whatever language it is that people code pedals in. I feel like I need to learn that. That's my mission now. It's such a, it's such a weird thing to me too. Cause like I talked to Jack, sometimes and you know and 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 he starts going off about uh you know layman's terms to him mm. of of code and i'm like dude i don't i don't have a clue no, what you're talking about right now total greek and you know you take it as far as things like the axe effects and kemper i mean those things are born in that world it's not about hey you've really got to hear these capacitors i sourced from this junkyard in terms it's about a person at a computer understanding things that most people will never have a chance of understanding and uh, mm-hmm. and you know the the product being completely awesome as a result that's that to me is is as magical as you know any analog tube piece of gear out there that you can take take an idea make it make it physical via software and it go on to inspire people i think that's great i think it's amazing you know i'm a big fan i'm a big advocate for um for that stuff 
I know there's a lot of snobbery with that stuff in in the world we move in, but you know, you got to, you've got to you got to, you got to try it out. You got to uh, you got to um, what's the word? What's the word I'm struggling for? You got to uh, experiment. Got to diversify. You got to, you got to di- diversify, diversify your portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> and now we talk about stocks. Um, and then everyone falls asleep. Yeah, I've probably already bored everyone half to death with just me rambling about you know. Digital signal processing. <laughs> I think this, I, I, you know, people say that a lot. They're like, oh boy, I, this was probably really boring to hear me ramble this whole time. I'm like, that's what a podcast is for. Right. If you stop talking, that's when it gets weird. I might just leave huge right. pauses just to mess with you now. <laughs> no, I won't. Great. I can't do it. I'd have to fill the air with like, <laughs> hey, guess what? I like pedals. <laughs> the next one is the big one, though. Uh-oh. This is the one. That may, I mean, to be honest, it may make or break the rest of your career. Oh, okay. So, uh, you've got me. You've got my full attention now. That sounds brilliant. Yeah. What kind of pizza do you like? Do you know what? I like pineapple on pizza. Oh, see, that's what I mean. We get this is over. That's what I'm saying. We can't, we can't talk any further. <laughs> I like I like pineapple and ham on a pizza, man. I tell you what, my favorite pizza is pineapple and beef, like ground. Uh, what's like spicy beef? Like like ground beef, yeah, okay. Kind of, yeah. Is that a thing over there? Or like spicy sausage? They do that in the states, don't they? They're big on spicy sausage. Yeah, we definitely do spicy sausage. There's there's some places we'll do ground beef. Okay. Yeah, I guess it's like a Domino's thing over here, like. Or maybe it's a pizza thing. I can't remember. But yeah, Benji, our singer, got me into that because he doesn't eat pork. So like, if you get if you got like a Hawaiian pizza like with ham on it, you couldn't do that. So it's pineapple and beef, like spicy beef or whatever. But yeah, I, d- I know that some people literally will. I don't. I'm guessing you're one of them who will literally throw down over the idea of pineapple on pizza. Not a fan. I, I'm, I'm, I, I am a weirdo. So no, it's fine. I mean, I think I, I just I, don't like pineapples. Yeah, man. What's that? I, I, I hear you. Like, I think I'm classed as the weirdo for liking it on pizza. I don't know. I mean, I well, in my in my Facebook group, it's very. Uh, it's very 50-50, okay. I would say. Well, that's probably quite representative of life, I guess. You know, there's yeah. plenty of people out there um, who, who like it and plenty of people out there who think it's abhorrent. And I just don't, I don't know. I think I might like it someday. Um, I have a lot of things like that I will revisit years later and be like, okay, I like this now. I, like I, I think I, that that know. time is going to come almost immediately after you getting really high one night. Smoking loads, smoking loads of weed, <laughs> and then someone walks in with like four pineapple and beef, spicy beef pizzas, and you're gonna call me and say, "Oh my god, you were right." It's it's it's. I don't know what I was doing wrong. Know, I've man. wasted and also I wasted my entire life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love you for this. I've, I've wasted my entire life and need to look back at my life choices. I've missed out on so much pineapple. No, I, you know, I, I, uh, think, I, think, uh, I try it. I try it fairly regularly just to see. Like, I'll, I'll take a little, little, little nibble because my wife really likes it, and so I'll be like, "Let me see. Maybe today's the day." Do you know what? That's good of you because like, most people not. are very set in their ways, and when they say they don't like something, they're not really willing to, to you know, to to, put, to to challenge that. So it's good that you are, you know, and it's okay not to like something. It's okay to like it as well. To each their own, I think. But I do. I, I, I would rather the pineapple like, on pizza argument is something I, which I find quite like comedy because it doesn't really bother me, but it really seems to bother some people. I don't know. I get it. I I mean, I really don't like it. 
Like, hey man, f- fair enough, dude. <laughs> Respect, more power to you. And I don't, I don't blame or judge you for feeling that way because you know, I get it. It's what makes the world go round, I suppose. Absolutely, but I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, you know, I would cross the road for pineapple on pizza. Mm. I think Mark Packham's a, an anti-pineapple guy as well. I think so. I want to say. Is I know he? I keep name dropping all the guitar nerds guys, but I just I'm thinking it's kind of relevant. I want to say that Mark's an anti-pineapple guy, but I can't remember. I can't either. I know. It's it's I, all good. You know, half of those guys are vegan, so I can't keep up with their their choices anyway. Uh, yeah. I just, well, then he probably loves pineapple know, on pizza. Want... He was. He, what's he having on pizza? Just nothing. No ham, no pineapple, just a mutt. Come on, dude. Uh, do you know what? It's just so, just uh, I think it was uh, Jay Cross said he just likes just like tomato pie. Well, fair enough. That's, that's like very that. probably quite traditional. I mean, I've been very lucky to be to go to Italy a handful of times. Went to Sicily a couple of times, and you know, some of the best pizza we've ever had. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's always the simpler the better, and that that kind of goes for wherever you go. Like go to Japan, the sushi's really really simple, super simple. There's no frills. It's the best you've ever had. You go to India, the food's really simple, best you've ever had. Same goes for Italy. So, you know, I know this. we have this sort of westernized nonsense that we throw into certain foods to make it more exciting or whatever. And you grow up with them and you either love them or you hate them. And I think pineapple is probably one of those things. Like Italian people would probably punch me in the face for saying I like pineapple on pizza. But, you know, I'm not Italian. I'm a Brit and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, <laughs> I'm a heathen who grew up with pineapple on pizza. And I will smear Marmite on the face of anyone who challenges me. Oh, no, not Marmite. No, now we've gone too far. Hey, man. We've gone way you know, too far. My wife's American and she can't stand it. Cannot stand it. And I think it's because you have to have that stuff when you're a kid. I don't think you can come to it in later life because it's like, what is this? This is, this is like food based on a dare. Like, <laughs> that's kind of what i think of it too yeah because it's weird and like it's a weird thing but honestly you have it because our daughter's obviously coming to the age where i'm going to try and get her into marmite just to get one over on my wife really because she doesn't like it i love it you know it's i feel like it's part of my dna and it's like if my kid is not into marmite then i don't know i feel like i've failed as a parent and just failed as, as a father as a as a British citizen and a parent. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> but I think the, the first time I made my wife try Marmite, it was on the end of my finger. <laughs> and that was my big mistake because I should have put it on like a, a hot buttery crumpet or something. <laughs> but I didn't. It was like, here, taste this. And she's like, that's disgusting. Like, What's wrong with you? It's great. Yeah. Probably going a bit too far oh, into man. into into um, non guitary things here. Need to bring it back. Oh, bring it back. Bring it back. I, I know you haven't really listened to the show, but we'd go into non guitary things. Oh, cool. All right, good. Constantly. Okay, that's good. Constantly. I hope your viewers aren't going to be like, um, "Who the hell is this guy?" Well, they might. I mean, they're definitely. No, okay. we're, you know, it's a it's slant heavily American. Uh-huh. Uh, there's people all across the world, but. It it's probably sixty five percent American, and so there will be a lot of people questioning your your judgment. I'm sure. Amazing. But uh, I feel like that's a good place to probably wrap this up, so people's last memory of you will be of Marmite. Uh, it seems about right. I couldn't think of a better way to uh, to bookend this conversation than talk about an arguably gross brown brown paste. <laughs> I think it's the only way to to properly cap this off. 
So um, for Mikey, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Mikey's such a treat. He's I'd say he's a national treasure, but he's you know, he's British, so he's not an, he's not my national treasure. But, you know, he's he's there. I, whatever. I don't know what I'm even saying. It was a great chat. And if you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did, guess what? We've got a whole lot more for you over on Patreon. I believe we did like another hour, I think, somewhere in that ballpark. So there's a whole bunch more of this conversation with Mikey, and we we go off into the weeds. We go we go all kinds of crazy in that one, and it's a it's a really really fun really fun chat. And if you are at all interested in that, you can go over to Patreon.com/tonemob, where for as little as five dollars a month, we'll get you extra tone mobbery every week. Sometimes it's extra extended guest stuff like this. Sometimes it's me and my good friend Justin Porter hanging out in the shred shed talking about gear and whatever else comes up. So if that is appealing to you, Patreon is the place to go check that out. And thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for even getting to this point in the episode. That is still amazing to me that that people will do that. And you know, with all the things to listen to, you chose this one. That really means a lot to me. So thank you very much. And don't hesitate to reach out, info at tonemob.com or any of the socials at the Tone Mob. All that jazz, I'm around, and if I can be of help, I will do so. So thank you very much for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings So why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com slash StringJoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.